Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlife. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by me and my business, Lauren Grace Inspirations. Hi, Lauren Grace here, and welcome to the Afterlight Podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Giovanni Washington. She is a Black Goddess Guide and Ancestral Alchemist, and she's the creator of the only Oracle deck in the world to feature real Black women embodying African goddesses. She believes Black people have been disconnected from their history and pushed out of spiritual spaces and has made it her mission to help redress the balance. Giovanni is joining me today. We're going to be talking about what inspired her to create this beautiful Oracle deck. If you are watching on YouTube, I have some examples of it here. It's just amazing. And we're also going to be talking about ancestral alchemy. What is it exactly? And how can you maybe take advantage of it in your own life? Giovanni, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm excited. I actually felt emotional reading your bio. Like, even though it's short and sweet, it's it's really powerful. There's a lot sort of packed into those choice statements. So before we kind of get to the big subjects at hand, you know, which is a lot about the motivation for creating this gorgeous Oracle deck, I do want to talk to you about why you feel Black people have been disconnected from their history. Um, I feel a lot of sadness, even when I say that now. So like really deep in my heart. I just want to talk to you a bit about how your spiritual journey began. You know, have you always been on the path? Did you sort of feel disconnected yourself? And that's a story that you really connect to? Or how did it sort of kick off? That's a fantastic question. It's like, how how much time do we have is the yeah. real question. We got all the time um, in the world. All the time in the world. So, I mean, I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents were, we were raised Methodist. My mother was Catholic and my father was Baptist and they really could not stand each other's churches. So we were raised Methodist. And it's maybe in my 16, 17, I was like, this is crap. Mm. And, you know, I was, I, I wasn't, my questions weren't being answered adequately. And there was a lot of hypocrisy and I could see it and I could name it, which you know, was something I could not do as an eight-year-old, but as a 16, 17 year old, I certainly had the words and the and I guess the 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 agency to say, hey, this is not okay. And so I sort of left the church. Um, and I mean, you fast forward a few years. This is so interesting. I'm, I'm going to put this together in a way I've not ever put it together before. Um, I was in college. I went to a historically black college and university called Florida Agricultural Mechanical University in Tallahassee, Florida, which was a far cry from growing up in LA, from, in Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, I was exposed to black history and blackness in a way that I'd really never been exposed to it. In America, our, um, I mean, I assume you have an international audience and yes. if they're keeping up with what's happening in the States, you'll see that there is a, uh, a massive movement toward revisioning history and erasing history and really just being in denial of just the facts. Like, Put the emotions aside for a second, but just like these things happened and America has not reconciled itself. Right. Um, well, it hasn't reconciled its past, right? We haven't, it's, it's, America was built on blooded land and we are, our policies and our practices just move forward as if that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so being in college with um, really a world of, and because they were, these are black people from all over the world. Um, 
I really got in touch with my history in a way that I had never had the opportunity to do. And I was reading a novel that a fellow student had written about the kingdom of Moreau, which is in present day Sudan. And uh, I mean, it it's where, it was hundreds of years ago, but it's in present day, it's where present day Sudan is now. And um, basically I had a dream and the white God that was always in my imaginary was defeated by this black God from Moreau. And I just, it, something happened in me. Like I woke up and something was shifted, something was changed. And so I think that was really, I can pinpoint that as the start of my journey in the realm of, um, I guess, African spirituality or spirituality from Africa. I don't like to say African spirituality because there's so many, there's not just one, yeah. um, but spirituality from Africa or things that things that made sense to me where um, the, the sacred or the divine was not, only embodied by something that was white and male and heterosexual. That's so, man, this is huge. This is a huge conversation. And it's, I love how you put all of that as a Caucasian woman growing up in Canada. I mean, I went to the United church for, you know, until I think I was about 13, 14. And yeah. you, don't, you don't always think about, you know, the experiences that other people are having in, in different churches. I do want to talk to you a little bit about discernment and how you got that self-awareness to start to question these things. I guess just before we go there, though, I, I do want to ask you, and I, I feel a little bit ignorant asking this question, to be fair, but, you know, so in your church, was the idea that God was this white man? Listen, white Jesus is everywhere, everywhere. Right. Even now today, if you Google image of God, 75% of the results are white male. So if you I, think about, yeah. You know, <laughs> So there have been studies that show when you think that the supreme being or that God is white male heterosexual, that you also think that leadership and um, bosses and management wow, should also be white male heterosexual, right? And of so course. it's if that body, if that sacred being is white male, like the global majority does not look. And so what is that saying? Like what is it? The colonization starts from. Uh, it's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's been used to, to further the colonial project, right? Like, and they started with your body doesn't look like that body and that body looks like God. So your body is not sacred and therefore oh we can enslave you. Oh my, oh my God. Um, you just cut out there for a second. So I just want to rephrase. So were you saying that, you know, people don't look like God? I think that little part there, I just lost you for about five seconds. In, so in the global imaginary, white male yeah. has stood, God looks like people think that God looks like white male. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But yeah. the, but the global majority does not look like white male. And so what is, that's just completely cutting out and um, denying everything that's available to deities or to the white male deity to anyone who doesn't have that body, right? So like, if that's the sacred body, does that mean that my body is not sacred? Does that mean that I don't, that everything is not available to me? That everything that a God can be, do and have is, is all the possibilities that are um, ascribed to that body also ascribed to my body? No, if we think that God is a white man. Right, but the answer is also, we wanna keep you small and we wanna keep you 100%. in your little box. So just 100%. understand that this is the way that it is and don't question it. What right. started you questioning this at the age of 14? Did you have you know, influences in your home, in your community that started questioning this? I remember when I was yeah. listening to Oprah and she had this, she was talking about being in the church and then her preacher started talking about how God was a jealous God. 
And she didn't understand how God could be benevolent and all of these, you know, really high frequency um, traits and then be a jealous God. And that started getting this thing, you know, in her head where she was starting to realize, wait a minute, this isn't making any sense. There's something that's not right here. I don't remember a particular question that I had. I just remember saying to my parents when they like, I'm done, I'm not going to church. Like when you guys, when we do the Sunday morning, whatever, I'm not going. And um, they gave me a little pushback and I was like, well, here are my questions. And they, they couldn't answer them. And they were like, okay, fine, you can stay home. And it was, you know, it was something along those lines. I don't think I was questioning the whiteness of Jesus or of God of that at that point. I think I was just questioning the hypocrisy in general. And probably in college is when I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't actually, I mean, certainly I did think that God was a white man. That that was that was what I imagined when I thought of yeah. God. Yeah. And so to have that dream as a sophomore in college and to wake up, like it really was, I don't say it destroyed my life, but it really upturned my life. I was like, well, now what? You right, because everything that, that you've believed is a lie. I mean, it, it was a lie that was uh, perpetuated to oppress me, which is much right. worse than just a lie. Right. right. So were you in a church that was predominantly African-Americans? Yeah. I'm confused sort of because... I never really thought about the experience for an African-American learning that God would be this white male and then Jesus and all that. So I'm kind of questioning, like, how does that even happen? It's almost like this conditioned response, maybe when Christianity or Catholic Catholicism, I'm not getting that right, right? Catholicism. Thank you. Um, was first maybe introduced. And so it's just been this conditioned way of looking at things. Did these conversations not happen? Um, I mean, I can't speak for all the denominations that African-Americans attend. Um, I did read an article and I, but, but I think this movement happened before this article was written, which was like in the fifties. And they're talking about um, there was a particular artist who drew the image, maybe it was in the 30s, who drew the image of white Jesus that got propagated all over the world. And it was literally all over the world. But even before that happened, um, they when, when, when the colonists came, the colonizers came to various parts of the world, you don't look like us, you don't talk like us, you don't speak like us, you don't comb your hair like us, you don't eat like us, you're bad, you're savage, you're different. And if you, and you don't practice this religion. And so we're going to use this religion to oppress and um, conscript you for our, for our, our needs, basically. Right, right, right. right. So I don't know. I I mean, I don't recall a a moment in church when they said God is white, but white Jesus is everywhere. Yes. So it's implied because Jesus is God's son. So he probably has a white dad, like to be that white, let's be fair. This is sort of blowing my mind right now. How many, yeah, it's great. And this is why I have the podcast is to have these discussions is to blow people's minds, to get them to look at life in a new way and to question things and find their own truth. So this is perfect. How did you kind of go through your university? You kind of have this aha moment. All of a sudden, everything for you, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, is sort of overturned or you're kind of like, wait a minute, you're kind of questioning what it is you've been taught. Like, number one, I would start to question basically the fundamentals of everything I've learned. Yeah. But yeah. not only that, I mean, how do you start to have these conversations with your peers? You know, were other people starting to look at this and question this as well? Yeah. 
I mean, I think I was fortunate enough, um, and, and I don't know if every small Southern city that has a, a historically black college university also has a, um, there was a really strong um, African-centered community as well that was practicing traditions from West Africa and they had been practicing them for decades. It was the first introduction I had to Ifa, which comes right out of the Yoruba tradition in Nigeria. There is a um, Olatundi village is the, I think the first and only Yoruba village in United States. It's in South Carolina. They actually, they have, they have a king and a queen that were crowned in Nigeria and they live as the Yoruba do in, in Yoruba land in Nigeria. They came actually to our college um, during the, uh, student body president's coronation. And they just came in with all their finery and the music mm -hmm. and the, uh, the, their own customs and traditions. And they were speaking Yoruba, you know, it was, um, to have those two things happening at the same time, but to have that dream where I was like, Oh my God, the black male God just defeated the white God, yeah. the white male God. And then to see that there's this, um, really regal tradition. That's also, I guess, what's the word in, in the, in this religious container where I was like, there's no way that God's a white God, right? That God looks like those people. Listen, I always make this joke, but it's true. If you watch there's, I can't remember which Muppet movie it is, but there is a Kermit Jesus in one of the Muppet movies because it makes sense that your God would look like you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because we're supposed to be made in the eye of the creator. And I know you're only taught, you can talk from your experience and that's what we're focusing on here is your point of view. But, you know, do you think that this has created identity crisis in a way? For whom? For me? For African-American people and yeah, for yourself. Like if you think oh. that you're not created in the eye of God and you are kind of conditioned to look, to look at yourself as less than that you know, through no fault. Like, how do you, how do people overcome that? Well, you know, this is, this is an, a very interesting question. So I'll, I have two short stories to share with you in, by way of an answer. Um, I ordered some earrings off the internet once because I don't wear heels. Earrings are my heels. So I have a vast collection and I ordered them from some lady. And when she sent them, she also sent stickers that said, God is a black woman. And oh. it's a simple, it was white, white background, black lettering. I put one on my computer and then some weeks later was at a coffee shop and ran into, you know, an, an elder black woman. I would say she was maybe 70 years old. And when I tell you the offense that she took at my, at my sticker on my computer was amazing. It was amazing because that's not how they were raised. Right. I will also say, what's the other, the other story I want to share. Um, I recently realized that my father's people, um, there's a lot of Baptist preachers, preachers in his lineage. And it took me until, you know, my middle forties to realize that they're just because that my spirituality is not better than their spirituality, just because I don't believe in the Christianity or I'm not a Christian anymore. It's, they are, they are retaining the religious, the, the spiritual sovereignty throughout, through across generations. Right. It just happens to be in this thing that looks like Christianity. But the religion, the feeling when you go in there is the same feeling when you go into other traditional spaces. It is the the feeling is there. My people are very spiritual. Sometimes they were Christian and sometimes they weren't. Right. And so what they're thinking about what God looks like, I don't know. I haven't really had those conversations with certainly not elder people. I find it a little difficult. 
Um, but there are some, I will say there are some elders in my world, like in my business world and through my business that I've met through through the deck and through, um, the ancestral work that I do, who are certainly doing this work and open to, uh, having their minds changed. They're seeking, they're seeking something else. Yeah, that's so. And I think that, you know, even if they're not necessarily questioning it, it's kind of this implied thing. And then when you really get into it, you're like, wait a minute. The thing is that I don't think that we're taught enough in life to question things that we're kind of taught that the media's right. Or, you know, if you listen to that radio host, they're correct. You know, we're not really taught to, to kind of question the information that we get or our own truths, you know, and I find that, yeah. And I find it so important to do that. I don't think I'm inquisitive enough, honestly, because sometimes I listen to things and it just feels truthful to me and I don't always Mm. question it. Mm. And then sometimes, you know, you hear, you hear things and there's like a BS monitor that goes off in your head and you go, I don't really know about that. But I think that in general, you know, people who have been conditioned to believe a certain way, and this could be even for things that aren't religious, they don't always just question it. They just think it's just always been a fact. So it's not yeah. a surprise to me that, you know, for example, elders may be offended by that because that would be a lot of undoing that you would have. A to lot of undoing, a lot of undoing. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that. I mean, I'm not a religious scholar, but re- black religion in America has provided a lot of uh, support and succor for black people. Through, through throughout yes. time, throughout history in America, yes. throughout American history. And so I'm not, I am definitely not willing to throw it out, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I just know for me, um, I was not settled in church spaces. I think a big part of the, about the spiritual experience though, and at least for myself is, is a lot about how, as you learn new information and you evolve and grow, I mean, you do better, but your consciousness evolves as well. And so I think that, you know, it makes sense that there would be a lot of comfort that would be found from feeling that there's a higher, a higher entity protecting you and that there's a reason for things happening. And, you know, the power of prayer, I'm sure you can, you appreciate the power of prayer and the feeling that you get when you're, you know, connecting with that. And, you know, so I think that that, yeah, it's without, you know, it's obvious that that would give a lot of support, but at the same time, you kind of have to look in a way at the, like the fundamental issue here, which is that there's a subconscious pressure on people to maybe be other than they are or to not embrace the power within themselves. And that's really sad. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's really, I the other statement is also, maybe I should just be explicit about it. Religion was also used to justify slavery. Right. So like, I don't think religion is a panacea. Christianity in particular was used to justify um, slavery and many other wrongdoings. So I don't think it's a panacea. I just know that um, when you are removed from everything, when you are taken from your, like, it starts with the cutting off of your hair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When, which, it, which holds all kind of identity. As, uh, particularly in West African um, communities, it told it, it was about, it told you rank, it told you whether they were marriageable, what age they were, what pride they were from, what their last name, what you know, what their surname was. It told you so much information. And the first thing that happens when you're stolen and put onto put onto a boat is they take off your hair. So I'm I'm not really like I'm not prepared to villainize this particular group of people, even 400 years later, for practicing that for practicing a religion that was put upon them. 
-hmm. right? Because I think it was also a space in which they could retain certain of their, of their religious, of their spiritual traditions. So the clapping, the threes, the way the music is going, the stomping, like there are ways that look very, there are things that look, that we've retained that look very similar Mm. in terms of our uh, religious, our spiritual practices that look very similar to the, the places in Africa from where we were taken. Right. Okay. So yeah. yes, it's oppressive. Also, it's been a vehicle for, um, like I said, support and care and and retention. It's yeah. a retention of culture. So after you started started discovering all of all of your own new thoughts, maybe new ideas that you were being presented with, did you start to explore different spiritual avenues? Did you start to look at Absolutely. different religions? Yeah. So what was yeah. the story that happened there? Well, I was. Um, I was really drawn to West African drumming and dancing, particularly um, from like the Guinea, Mali, Senegambia region. And there was, um, and that's sort of a long story, but while in the Afro-Brazilian tradition that that we practice in America, it's, the, it's, it also has a religious aspect because of the way the African Ameri- the African um, Jimbe Orchestra came to the states. It was separated from the religion. So I just I'm saying that to to clarify the statement I'm about to make, which is while there wasn't necessarily a religious tie to the African um, to the African dancing and drumming that was happening in, in Tallahassee and in other places in the states, it was very it was religious to me. And many of those folks also practiced. Ifa mostly, Ifa or Santeria or Apollo, um, which all came from the, the coast of Africa. Like Santeria came from Cuba, but it was Ifa traveling from Nigeria to Cuba or Ifa traveling from Nigeria to Brazil with the enslaved Africans. So that also came to America. And I definitely explored that. I definitely, um, I've been to those places. I've, you know, I traveled, I went to Cuba, went to Brazil, went to the Dominican Republic. Um, and pursued the traditions and every time was told that they weren't for me that that I didn't need to be initiated in the traditions and so I I kept going and I know my journey does not look like those particular journeys which is why and well I guess we'll talk about in a minute but my the black goddess deck has goddesses from all over the continent it's not just an Orisha deck it's not just the Egyptian gods and goddesses it represents not all 52 countries but like maybe 25 or 27 countries Mm -hmm. you know they're from all over the place do you think that in your experience your own truth is about learning all of these different things and kind of finding your own way that there maybe isn't a set path that it's about learning and embracing these different cultural aspects I believe that we're a, we're a soul and we're part of the greater entity which is a creator god force energy or whatever you want to call it and I just think that we're just so much bigger than these vehicles that we're in right now. And so it makes sense to me that there would be all of these different pathways, these teachings, these musical influences, working with music and movement and all that. I mean, that's when you connect with with your heart. That's where you connect with that that love energy and you feel alive and you can shift things in your body that aren't for you and you, I don't know, there's this way of transcending the humanness of ourselves and who are problems of the day and stuff when you can break into song or feel your body and your hips move. I mean, any thoughts on on that? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, honestly, that sounds a little, it sounds like panacea to me because I like, I'm a black woman and I can't, I, 
I don't even want to be divorced from that. And it feels um, like what I think there's truth in what you're saying. Like, yes, we are human and our experiences, our spiritual experiences are beyond this, like my friend calls it meat suit beyond the, uh, you know, this, this human body. Also my experience right now is of a black bot is, is, is of a black bodied person. Yeah. And I feel like anything that, denies that is denying who I am and it's it's basically erasing trying to erase my existence so I can't I can't fully like co-sign what you're saying although I see true I do see truth in it um I and I have had teachers who I have argued with I have teachers who say you know the body sitting in front of me is just the body like we're we're dealing with the totality of that person's spiritual experience right. and other lives and other whatever and I think that actually creates harm I think it's also when we are experiencing different experiences because your experiences are going to be very different to my experiences. If I was living a different life, I may not, I may also think that that's a really fanciful idea. Fanciful is a great word. That's a great word. I mean, I've had honestly a black teacher tell me that the the meat suit is not important and I disagreed with him. <laughs> I did. I, I was like, you're the elder. I'll shut up about it. But I have, but I'm, my, my feeling is my feeling. And I think it's creating harm, especially in that particular tradition, which was an African tradition that he was teaching to mostly white folks. You know, it's like, you have to at least address the thing in the room. Like I think to ignore it is creating harm, right? To ignore it is continuing and continuing to oppress. Ignoring it means that this information is being at some point it's, it's, on its way to being appropriated and it's not being passed on to black people. It's like, you have to address it. And he didn't agree with me, but that was my thought. That's probably a good segue into the idea of exploring, you know, ancestral alchemy. So yeah. my understanding is that if you're going to be teaching a cultural um, dance or music or something like that to people that aren't of that culture, that it's important to understand where that culture came from do you think that that cultural teaching is not for that person because they're not of that culture do you believe in sharing that or do you think that some things need to remain sacred to that lineage I'm going to say yes to all of those questions I think that there are and I, you know what and I'm going to talk about the deck by way of example because I was going to say, do I come from these cultures? I don't come from many of these. What I know of my, my mm -hmm. genetic lineage, I don't necessarily come from any, from all of these cultures, but I claim the entire continent and colonialism allowed me to do that. The slave trade, the transatlantic trade of enslaved Africans allows me to not allow, but because of it, I am claiming the whole continent. So, because I think there's an argument to be made that I shouldn't be making these decks. Now, what I will, because they represent cultures that I'm not from, what I will say is that this information that I, that is in the decks has become, um, it's either secular or secularized, right? It either was not sacred or it was sacred, but then over time, culture bearers went away, whatever the information is now like public and it's, and it's become secular like every for the everyday Joe. I believe that there's information and cults, um, not cults, but information and groups that are practicing traditions around the goddesses in West in in the continent of Africa that I am not privy to because I am not initiated into those traditions and I have no qualms with that like zero yeah. qualms. I don't know. I don't qualms. either. I right? I think it makes it special and sacred. Absolutely, absolutely. So no. I, so to answer your question, I think that there are 
things that need to remain sacred. And that's for those cultures to determine. Right. And then I think that there are things that if they're chosen to be shared, that they should be, um, the people they're being shared with should always honor and reference back their teachers. And that's probably my biggest problem with people who aren't of the tradition, who are teaching some, whatever it is, you know, it could be yoga, it could be dance, it could be paint, like whatever it is, is that they don't reference where it came from. They don't, they don't talk about their teachers. And I think that is, that's offensive. You know, like you didn't just create this. You didn't just, and I know like yoga has been really commodified, for example, I'm, I have feelings about whether non people who are not from that tradition should be teaching yoga or teaching African dance or teaching whatever. Uh, I will say that honestly, I haven't worked all the way through that. I know that something happens in my body when I see it and it's not necessarily something positive, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, also those tradition bears have passed that on to those people. And so that's, that's out of my hands. Right. That's not like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to have an opinion about it. I, well, I, do, I, I think you do. can have an opinion about it, but it's also, I see you kind of unsure about the opinion, which is cool. I think it's because we're figuring it out and not everything is black and white. Right. And when you have a physical reaction in this, in something, either there's a trigger there that's, it needs yeah. to be healing within that, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, all of us on the spiritual path pretty much are like, oh shit, when I'm triggered by something, what's that within me? when I hear you talking, I think to myself, yeah, but if I hadn't learned yoga from different teachers, then I wouldn't know it. And it's a really important thing in my life, even though I haven't been practicing it in a couple, in a little while. It's really, I mean, but are you also teaching it? Or are you just no. practicing it? See, I think I that's, practice. I think when you start teaching for money, there's another thing that happens, right? There's another layer that it's, I think, I feel like that's more squarely in the realm of cultural appropriation. Um, but again, many, many elders from India have, have shared that knowledge with many people who are not from India. My, my divination teacher, Maladoma Somme, said that he was sent here to teach the stranger. I think, I think that's actually what his name means. It's like, wow, that's a friend, the stranger, something like that. Um, and so, you know, when he said to me, it, I, this is not about black and white. I was like, all right, but it kind of is. Um, and he, whatever, we didn't agree. Um, but, and I have to honor him because I was in a room learning this with no one who looked like me. Were they all white people in general? Yep. The group kind of changed over time because, you know, people, attrition, people fall out. There yeah. was a, another black man who started with us. And then over the course of the year and a half or so, yeah, I was the only one <laughs> and everyone was white. But here's the thing. He has now passed on. But there are at least eight or nine of us. I mean, there's more than that. But from our group, we were the last group to be trained by him in this particular divination form. And, you know, how sad would it have been if it was only me mm -hmm. that was taught? Yeah. You know, so I think there's many, many ways to think about this. I just, for me, I think you have to talk about to not acknowledge what's happening in the trans in the transmission is and from whom and to whom, especially in America. Is, is just creating more, it's perpetuating, creating, creating and perpetuating more harm. When you were talking about how Africans were taken from Africa and their hair was cut off and their sense of identity was jeopardized, it seems to me that there weren't a lot of choices that were Absolutely. left that, or yeah. that were given. And so if you have these practices or traditional ways of using medicine or connecting with the divine or dance or anything like that, that maybe there are certain things that you want to hold because there were a lot of choices taken from you? I mean, you're asking me if, because we were 
a choice was taken away when I see a transmission happening today. I certainly think like in the rhetoric, people say things like, we can't have anything. You know, like why are they always taking all our stuff? Um, I think that's definitely something that people say. I guess it's kind of like, let's pretend, I'll just use, this is a really poor example. Let's pretend that I was not given any choices about where I grew up and where I lived and who I married and if I married and the way I dressed and all these things. Let's just say all my choices one day were just taken away. But I had this one thing. I had my song, my special song, or I had my special prayer that no one knew about that they couldn't take from me. That was mine. I, I, I kind of think about it like that, you know, and it's like, that's precious and powerful to me. And so I don't want to share that with everyone because yeah. that's something that is my choice. And I can, you know, kind of like when you're talking about some of these sacred places where people are inducted and it's like a sacred ceremony and it's not for the, the mass public. Is there something like that to be, to be considered? I, th yes. And I think that, I mean, when, when you were when describing, you know, all the things being taken away, I think it's also really important to, like, I think it's very, it's, it's much more, I don't know if it's nuanced. There are some other layers, right? Like families were destroyed. Families were deliberately separated. Um, black males were hunted, you know? Uh, and so the family system is still, we're still, we're not recovering. We have not recovered from the policing of black bodies that started four or five, 600 years ago. And so I, the question is almost, it's almost like reductive. Like, I think, I feel like we're, we're collapsing and, and asking this question, you're actually leaving out a lot of what is still persisting from that break, from that, that break of colonialism. Um, and I also think that I think, I feel like the opening words of my dissertation are something about the drum being taken from us except then, because you know, it was illegal at many points um, in the 16, 1700s for Africans to gather and drum in America. And, but we then moved the drums to our hand claps. We moved the drums to our feet. It, it came out in our hips in the way, that, in the dances that we created. So while they took it, they took the instrument, they took the, you know, the drum, the, the drum, the thing that was made of um, tree and, and skin and animal skin, we retained it in our bodies. Right, and that has been passed on. So even in the taking and in the removing and in the stealing and in the oppression and in the invisibilization, we have still retained. So I think it's, I the, the question to me, it doesn't paint the full picture. Yeah, and I'm probably not educated enough to be able to paint the full picture. So feel free to, you know, also educate me. Certainly, I mean, I don't, I think you can also like, if we, go up and we look at this globally and, uh, and not just on the African-American experience or the African diasporic experience, it's, um, there are certain things that are sacred that belong to that community, to whatever community, and those communities get to decide when it either becomes open or public or, or for the community beyond their immediate community. Like, I believe those decisions are left to them. Yeah. And I, I believe that we need to be, and there's probably a better word to say, but I think that people from the West need to be better consumers, right? Not just take, take, take. And so cons consumers is probably not the right word, but we need to be better stewards of the culture that is shared with us from other places. Yeah. And I guess like you were talking about, a lot of that is 
giving credit where credit is due. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely like I've just um, finished recording a time management course for the spiritual professional. You can get that on my website, <laughs> but I have a page, you know, that I'm building out, which is references and resources because I made my own methods, but I got a hell of a lot of inspiration from some major business people that I'm going to acknowledge. And I acknowledge them sometimes in the recording. And if I forget, I just put them in my, you know, at the end in the workbook, because you're right. We learn so much from all of these different influences around us. I would say that sometimes people maybe don't know where the influence comes from, you know, and that could be sometimes an argument for copywriting music or something like that, which we see. But when you're learning a particular tradition or, you know, you have teachers, for example, that you go to for a year and a half, like that's a no brainer that you yeah. reference and acknowledge them. Absolutely. I think what you're, what I'm hearing from you as well is to kind of be aware. If you aren't sure, maybe ask somebody, do you think that sometimes there's a lot of fear in looking embarrassed that you should know better or I'm sure fears around that? Yeah. A hundred percent. One of the things I say, um, to allies that I work with, although I, it also is true in terms with black people when they're starting ancestral work, it's like, you've got to be, Oh, hold on. There's three words. You have to be courageous enough to find something that is not pleasant. When you start, when you go looking in your, um, your background, you've got to be humble enough to not expect praise for doing so. And then you have to have the fortitude to keep going. Right. And I think that, I think those three things also apply to the question that you're asking. And I think, you know, um, apology and adjustment is also, I think we can add that to the list. Like when you mess up, just apologize and, mm -hmm. and sincerely apologize or make amends or create reparations. Like, you know, you're, t you're talking about your business people after Mr. George Floyd was killed in 2021 or 2020, there was, um, a huge upswell in like racial harmony and racial reconciliation in the States, maybe even worldwide. Right. And that trend has faded. You're right. Companies were doing all kinds of things and they were creating grants and they were making space yes, for black voices and voices of colors. Yes. And they're not doing that anymore. And I think if you're really about this kind of work, there needs to be reparations or repair, um, reconciliation, perhaps something built into your model, right? Into your business model so that you're always giving back or supporting those causes that you care about or that are, or your teachers that made it possible for you to do the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love that. And I, I do my best to live by that every day, you know, for myself. Okay. How do you describe ancestral alchemy? Is it going back into your ancestry? Is it, I mean, the alchemy part of it, where does that sort of fit in? I sort of fell into the alchemy part of it. I have a program or an offering that I offer with my divination um, where I, I, we do the divination, but then we work together for some weeks or some months afterward, really unpacking all the messages because they're so thick when they come in. Um, it's really too much to handle in, in a single sitting. Um, and I was like, oh, this is ancestral alchemy. And I think it's taking the wisdom that is in your lineages and going to get it, harvest it, and then creating new ancestral knowledge for future generations. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think. So you're taking the good and you're turning it into gold. And I think that that is the alchemy. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. The good into the gold. That's so good. And that you're making me think about, well, a lot of things, but one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about is my own ancestral lineage, you know, and I haven't really taken the time to explore it properly. And I think some of the traditions and things were sort of lost along the way. I haven't learned everything there was to know about my ancestral lineage. And I know that, you know, for example, my great grandmother, uh, was a Scottish tea leaf reader. Well, that mm. wisdom has gone out because my grandmother didn't think it was legitimate. And I'm like, what? You missed out on this huge opportunity. I mean, that being said, my great grandmother passed when my grandmother was young. So maybe there wasn't a lot of opportunity. How would people be able to explore their ancestral lineages if they don't have those access points anymore are you able to do that through meditation and I would also imagine that the work that you do is open to people of all kinds absolutely of backgrounds the the divinations that I do are certainly um it's a conduit for you to speak to your ancestors so it's not it's, it's like region agnostic it doesn't matter where you're from or what language you speak like they're speaking through the uh the materials um and in terms of while the way that your great grandmother read tea leaves might be gone there are certainly other people in scotland reading tea leaves and i would totally encourage you to go and find those people yeah. right and this is what i tell to most folks um because i think america I, I'm, and i don't know if this applies to canadians as well but certainly in america it's not just the black folks who have been disconnected from their history. We were disconnected in a particularly violent and persistent, pernicious way. Um, but many Americans, when they are many people, when they came here, many of the Europeans, they became white. You know, they weren't Polish or Italian or French. Yeah. They became white, right? And they basically gave up, they traded in their cultural traditions and their language to be white and have privilege, a particular privilege in America. And so, but all of those people, every single person, you know, has ancestors and those ancestry, those ancestors have lineage and traditions and language and culture that, that is, that is accessible to you. I'm not saying it's like you can Google for it, oh, right? Wow. But you can go and find it. You can start. I and just I had pers- like, go sorry, on. I just had this crazy aha moment. Can you finish your thing and then I'll No, no, talk. no, no. The aha, do the aha. So like, I kind of, so I've, I'm a Canadian Caucasian woman and I've always felt white. That's it. I felt white. And I, I think that, you know, when I think about my ancestral opportunities that haven't been explored, they're numberous and you're right. There's going to be pain within them considering I'm a Canadian with a Canadian parents, Canadian grandparents, and then my grand great grandparents immigrated. So there's going to be some stuff there for sure. But I think that because I felt white, I hadn't really thought that I had this ancestral opportunity to tap into. I kind of knew about it, you know? And so in a way, I kind of like heard your voice, feel free to correct me. But it's sort of like, but if you have your own ancestral lineage and heritage, and yeah, you know, you could talk, I could go back to what I said earlier about how we're a soul and we're in a human body, but it's like, but we're also in this human body. I believe we chose the body we incarnated in. Why wouldn't you go and explore what you're about? Why would you spend the time exploring what someone else is about when you have all this opportunity with you in your own line? Lauren, you get it. It's 100% correct. 100% correct. And I want to, 
no, go on. Well, it just made me feel like a lot of emotion when I got that, you know, in that way. And then I want to ask you this question too. So I grew up in Northern Canada, uh, two hours from the Alaskan border, huge First Nation um, community where I grew up. And I was taught things along the way. For example, I, we, I was taught to smudge. That's what I was, the, the term I was used with sweet grass and this is how you do it and you always light it from a candle or a match never a lighter so that was something that I always felt really proud and honored by learning how to do that properly and clean and clear my energy so I guess my question to you is what are your thoughts on everything I've said <laughs> like so, no this is a great question um so the grass that grows here or the plant that grows here that's used by the indigenous folks is sage uh, and there are many, and, and here I should say Southern California, there, I think sage actually probably grows everywhere at this point, but it's actually native to, it's indigenous to native to Southern California. And I too, and many of the spiritual spaces I was in was being smudged and using sage. And, um, and I was working with a group of women and we were, I think we were creating talismans. I think that that's what we were doing. And I sent them these little packages, you know, it had like a candle and a shell and, um, some incense and a, a little bundle of sage. And it was to help them clear their space yeah. before they created their altar, before they created the talisman. That was the whole point. And one of the women just pulled me up on it. She was like, you cannot burn sage. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I can burn sage. And so I went and did the research and there are many native or indigenous elders in this part of the world who have asked us to not use sage. It's been overgrown or well, that's the wrong word. It's been unsustainably um, grown. So it's been, you know, picked into it within an inch of its life. Um, it is, uh, I guess there are particular ceremonies and, and ways that it is used that most people are not, most non-Indigenous people are not using it in that way. And so what I had to do was issue an apology, you know, and it's, people have actually, I actually have a bit of sage because it just sort of collect and people give it to you. They bring it as a gift. They, you know, whatever. I have a huge bundle and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, but I decided that I would no longer burn sage. So I have sage here and I source yeah. it from Australia and I source it from a woman who she talks about sustainability. She, she grows it herself. It's organic. She dries it herself. I feel like I'm sourcing it from somebody who cares, who understands plant medicine, who works with the plant kingdom. I guess, do you think that sometimes it's about making those sort of choices, those choices that are well, alignment with you? I do. But here's the thing. There are also things in my lineages that also burn and clear. And I yeah. just have to go, I have to make an effort to go and find out about them, which is the, it's, it's sad. It's also a little adventurous, I think, because it's, it's fun to me to go, you know, down these rabbit holes. Yeah. But if I were to, because sage grows here, I, if I were to, if I wanted to continue my practice, I would commit to growing it myself. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm burning it in a particular indigenous way because I, I don't know that way. Yeah. Right. Like I would be burning it in the way that I was called to burn it because I grew it in a certain way and I dried it. And I, I went through the process and also certainly going through that process with the plant brings you close. It puts you in a relationship with the plant. Yeah, that's wonderful. Right. So that's very different. And I mean, I did call the people I bought it from the, it's called house of intuition here in Los Angeles. And they said that they, first of all, the woman was so uncomfortable when I started asking questions, like it was a wild convert. The energy went, woo. But she says that they bought it from some indigenous folks who live on a reservation two hours south of here. I don't know if it's true, but that's what she said. 
you know? And so again, there are people, there are indigenous people who hold these practices, these culture bearers, and some of them share it with, with, you know, people who are not in the tradition and other people, others of them are like, no, I felt enough conviction that it was not an appropriate, certainly not appropriate gift and not an appropriate practice for me to continue. I share that story with folks. I don't impose it upon anybody. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you got to ask the questions. Exactly. And I'm, I'm happy yeah. to have this discussion. This is why, you know, like I said, we're having these discussions is to get people to check in with themselves in a way. And I, I believe personally that if you can check in with yourself and if you feel good and you're making informed decisions, if you're being a better consumer to go back to what you kind of talked about earlier, then I think you have to answer to yourself at the end of the day. I think that's what's the most important thing is that did you, are you doing anything that does yourself a disservice? If you are, stop it. Well, and does other people disservice? Uh, yes. I think, I think we have to also like fold that Of piece course, in. we need to think yeah. about, you're right, the we and not just the I, 100%. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the beautiful deck that you've created. So the Black Goddess Within, it's just gorgeous. There are so many powerful, powerful images within it. I mean, these are powerful images of really strong women. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration for the deck. Did you did you paint these yourself? Did you? Ah, no, no. The irony of this whole thing is that I am not a visual person at all. I am a performer. I am a percussionist. I am a drummer and dancer. Um, and the there were two things that happened that led to the sort of distillation of this deck, which was the major thing that happened, well, the one that's pertinent to this conversation is I ordered an Afro. When I got in, at that point in my spiritual journey, I was super into Oracle Oracle and tarot cards, but mostly Oracle decks. And I realized after some time that I was using the Sacred Geometry deck, an African Flora and Fauna deck. And then I have this map deck that I love. Colette Baron reeds map deck? Yeah, I love oh, that deck. I, I love it. I love maps. So that was, which is oh, very yeah. colonial, but that's a whole Such other a problem. Deck. Yeah, but the deck is great. And, but I realized that like the Flora and Fauna deck and the Sacred Geometry deck, they don't have people in them, right? And then the map deck, it does have people in it, but it's almost, for most of the cards, they're not the primary um, oh. like focal point of the card. And so I thought, oh, I want to see, it's because I had other decks, but I wasn't using them because they were they were basically just very white and there was no representation of mostly people of color. Occasionally you would get a Kali, occasionally you would get a Kuan Yin, but most of them were just white gods, white gods and goddesses. And um, I ordered an Afro-Cuban Orisha tarot deck and I was so excited about it. And then when it arrived, I opened it. And I was like, let me, you know, pull a card. And it, it was Oshun, who is the goddess of love and beauty and art from the Yoruba tradition and uh, from the Ifa tradition from the Yoruba people in Nigeria. And she was white. She was white, white, white. She was like, like this color white. She was white. And um, I was so appalled and annoyed. I made my own deck. <laughs> I was like, we need to see these black bodies. And at that particular time, the other thing that happened was there was a... Um, uh, the Ferguson debacle, there were some policemen that murdered, shot to death an unarmed black teenager, and then they were acquitted. And so like these two things happened in parallel. And I was like, we, I was meeting with some black women and I don't remember the conversation. Like I was facilitating them in some process. I think we were actually working with the goddess, but the death was on the horizon. We, I don't remember the conversation exactly, but I know that we left the 
with the idea that we were going to change the way the world saw the black body. That for me ended up looking because I was also doing this goddess work already. It, I was like, oh, let's make a deck. And so that was the inspiration for the deck. And these bodies, they're full figured, they're powerful, they're in movement, they're, um, you know, there's one woman that she's just standing like strong, not necessarily in movement here, but in power stance, you know? I love that card. I love yeah, all the cards. That yeah. card's beautiful. So, and then you also have car, um, cards within this deck as well that aren't featuring women, but are featuring landscape. Why did you decide to do that as well? For the most part, these are landscapes or geographies from Africa. So these are okay. things that you would find on the continent, again, from all over. So we've got Zambia represented, Zimbabwe, the tree you find in five places, the sacred churches from Lalibela, Lali, Lalibela, Lalibela, I always say it wrong. And I wanted to, again, because I claim the whole continent, I wanted to honor the whole continent. And when I put out the call, these six women plus me were the ones who showed up to participate in, in co-creating the deck. And so that's why there's seven. And I mean, I didn't really do it. I did. I had no idea that nine or eight years later, I would be sitting here having made a second deck with 44 cards in it, having worked with another crop of women. Like, you know, it's going to be published by Hay House in December. Mm -hmm. I, I had no, I, like I didn't, that wasn't my intention, right? I wasn't like, oh, let's make a deck for Hay House. It was, let's get these images into the world so that we can change minds. We need to decolonize the minds. And there's so much power in imagery, right? We There's so much information conveyed through images. And I wanted, I mean, maybe it's not a direct line, like make the world safer for Black people, make pretty pictures of women. But that that's basically the calculus. Like we need to see that the divine can also look like a body that looks like mine. Yeah, and, no, you know, that's and 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, we, I mean, I grew up in the... I was born in 83. So, you know, in the nineties, it was a, when I was a teenager and I mean, there was just certain women that were represented, you know, and now I think Absolutely. we've really come really far and it's so exciting. Let's keep on going. And, you know, I, I'm a clairvoyant and a medium. So I work with cards all the time and, you know, I want to make sure that I have cards, you know, that I have access to where my client feels seen as well. Yeah. I don't want them yeah. to connect to a card that they, or, or look at a card that doesn't make sense to them. That doesn't hit, hit their heartstrings the way that I want it to, when they can Absolutely. see themselves represented. So it's important that, you know, that these cards do, do exist. So just before we sort of wrap up here, I mean, we didn't really get a chance to talk about everything that we probably could have because that's just not realistic. Do you feel any um, anything that you'd like to jam on that I didn't ask you? This would be your opportunity. How can people get the deck? What's sort of next for you? But also, you know, given the conversation that we've had today, which is it's heavy in some cases and it's super exciting because it's about looking at the world you know, and being, I think it's about moving forward, moving forward together and doing whatever we can to, you know, support each other on the journey. How do you, yeah. you know, kind of want to sum up everything? Is there anything that you wanted to, to say? Well, you know, I recently did a, um, a summit. I, I hosted a summit called the Black Goddess Liberated. And we talked about, you know, it was about healing ancestral wounds, um, it was about getting racism out of your body because we hold racism in our body and it, it makes us sick and kills us. Mm -hmm. And it was about really standing fully in who you are 
And I realized in the process of having those conversations with nine remarkable, you know, mystics, ritualists, and culture bears that my work, I really want my work to live in the space of liberation. And while we did have today a heavy conversation and that work is continuing, like that fight has never stopped. Um, I, I'm just sort of the latest in the vanguard. Um, I also want to give people, particularly people of color, a space to start thinking um, about what it means to be liberated because we define liberation as what it's not, right? Like, oh, it's anti-racist or it's decolonial oh. or it's de deconstructing or dismantling white supremacy. All of those things are continuing. All of those things have to happen, absolutely. But they don't actually, when we, when we focus on that as the definition of liberation, we're not thinking about joy or love or body freedom or I just came up with 12 pillars of liberation. I'm trying, what are the other pillars? You know, we're not thinking about all the possibilities, all, everything that exists on this other parallel. And so I think that's really also very important. And it, it's, it's been important for me because I'm a joyful person. Like I, th I think my default is joy. And to do the work of talking about um, the violences against black body and what I call black death porn. And America's really, they have an addiction to watching violence against black bodies. I. I don't want to live, like, I don't want to, I mean, yes, that's happening. And yes, I can't deny it. Also, I want to be here and I want to be here purposefully and intentionally. And that's what I invite people into. Um, I do spiritual liberation coaching. I created this deck, which you can get at go.blackgoddesswithin.com. Um, and then the new deck you can actually find on Amazon and just, you can just Google Black Goddess Within. It's currently available for pre-order and it, if you order it, I don't know about Australia, but in America, if you order it today, it'll be on your doorstep on December 14th. And I'm just, I'm really excited about the potential of the goddesses, our ancestors, you know, doing this other kind of work and creating new economies and just not, not necessarily financial economies, but we have to, um, we need to rise up with the ancestors and work together in order to create this global change that has to come. Beautiful. So well said. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know our listener has as well. And I'll put a link to all your contact stuff as well in the show awesome. notes. Awesome. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.